Today we are in um, Acts chapter 12, where we're supposed to be. I decided to do one more, more sermon out of Acts 11. I didn't. We're in Acts chapter 12. And it's um, an interesting chapter, and it made me think of a story as I was preparing. See, I grew up, as most of you did, in a, a time when kids could have fun and relative um, unsafety. Is that a word? One of my earliest memories as a kid, I was probably about Charlie's age, and I maybe a little older. I was sitting in the special seat in my grandpa's Cadillac. He used to drive. Remember when Cadillacs were, were like boats on wheels? And the special seat was, yeah, that, that, it was just one couch in the front. You know, when you wanted to move forward, everybody had to grab that. Everybody! Well, if you put down the armrest, they were big, and you could sit up on them. And I remember sitting up there and lining up that medallion, you know, the Cadillac medallion on the front of the hood, and I would be like trying to line it up and shoot the cars as we went by, and and I was riding up there, you know, a foot and a half from the glass, happy as could be with nothing holding me in. It was just, it was awesome. Kids can't do that anymore. It was back when we rode bikes without uh, bike helmets and, you know, developed severe brain trauma and all the problems it came from. And what, what fun is it to live a, a healthy life with an intact brain without flying through a, a front windshield? Well, another thing I remember is riding in my dad's car. He had a, um, an Eldorado, which had doors that were about five feet long. It was a two-door car. And you know, the seats flopped forward. My sister and I got in the back. And remember when cars were all rear-wheel drive and there wasn't a lot of technology, so there was that bump. Remember that giant hump in the back seat that, that separated? You know, keep your feet on your own side. Well, my sister and I, on long trips, we would lay in, in our wells down there. And we would look up and try to figure out looking up where we were, where my dad was going, what was going on. And it would be, uh, it would be fun, especially if we were going through the mountains. You're like, ah! can't see anything. Well, as I'm reading Acts 12, I was thinking, you know, it's kind of like life, isn't it? We, we don't have a full perspective of where we are, where, we, where we're going. In fact, we don't fully see who the driver is. But we lay on the floor and get, get glimpses from a, uh, a vantage point where we have to trust that the one who's driving knows what he's doing. And it affects how we go through the twists and turns of life. Well, take a look at, at Acts chapter 12, if you would. Um, there, that looks better. Acts chapter 12, we start out with, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. About what time? Do you know what time? Remember Acts chapter 11? I can do the sermons again, um, if you want to do another month and a half in Acts chapter 11. Well, during the events of, of this famine and the relief of Acts chapter 11, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Who was Herod? If you remember the Gospels, there was a Herod in the Gospels. Different Herod, that was a daddy. Uh, there was a Herod from the Gospels who had ten wives. I think he has a TV show on the Discovery Channel called Polygamy in Palestine. He had ten wives, and as a result of having ten wives, he had lots of kids, many sons. And one of those sons was this Herod we meet in Acts chapter 12. It's Agrippa. And the Herods were, um, they were fence-sitters. They, they were culturally Jewish. They were power-hungry, and they wanted to appease the Jews and the Romans to, to elevate themselves to a, as powerful as a position as possible. So this Herod had a great idea. He decided he'd persecute the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the Days of Unleavened Bread, a.k.a. Passover. 
And when he had seized him, Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. James is the first apostle to be killed. Imagine what's going through the mind of this early church. Sure, they faced persecution, but, but now one of their leaders has been killed, persecuted to the point of death. That's got to cause some um, shockwaves to run through the church. James, you know who James is? Say, brother of John. Remember the, the guys whose mom went to Jesus and said, can my son sit at your right and your left hand? And Jesus said, oh, you don't, you don't know uh, what that'll take. Are you prepared to drink from the cup of persecution? They said, yeah, well, guess who drank? James. He was killed with a sword. Interestingly, John did uh, drink from the cup also, but he didn't die for his faith. He wasn't killed. He was sent off to an island. But he was killed with a sword, and the Talmud tells us, it's a Jewish uh, commentary on rabbinic teaching, that that's how you kill people who worship false gods. So he's killed. The Jews seem to like this. So what does Herod do? He locks up Peter. And he locked him up, it says, with uh, four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. He's going to kill him after Passover. And he locks him up. Peter was a bit of a slippery cat. If you'll remember two previous times in Acts, he was locked up and he got out of jail. He, he, he had a unique ability to, to get out of jail. So Herod said, this isn't going to happen again. I'm going to take four guards at a time, two going to chain to him, Two, I'm going to stand outside of his cell to guard him. So imagine that you're, you're physically locked up, chained to two guards. And then two more are standing outside of your cell. It's pretty secure. So he's got him locked up, and there's no way he's going to get away. The Jews are, are pleased with the persecution of Herod. And Herod is seemingly in a very good and powerful spot. Think of how the church must be viewing this powerful man, Herod, who is going to destroy the church and destroy them. And then we keep going here. We see Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made by the church. How earnest? Well, wait till we get down to verse 13. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, here's what I wanted you to think about. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. Think about how much money our culture spends on sleep. We got those sleep number beds. You see them on QVC? I want to try one out. They like move and you pay a lot of money for those. You get a white noise machine. Anybody have one of those? You get certain scented stuff going in your room. You, some of these people wear these like pin the tail on the donkey blindfolds to help you sleep at night. And, and you take medicines and you listen to tapes. And we do all sorts of things to sleep well. Dude was chained to two guys on a prison floor, going to die the next day. And he's out cold. He wasn't catnapping because, look, behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. Now, if Laura leaves her reading light on, I have trouble. Turn it off. Good Lord, I can't sleep, right? So an angel, whoo, radiating light throughout the cell. Peter, because look what the angel does next. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Hey, wake up! Peter's like, what? He does that groggy, you know, deep sleep wake up. What? What? Struck him, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, dress yourself. 
put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He didn't know what was being done was by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. See, he's still, he's still groggy. You ever do that? You ever, you ever wake up like, huh, from a really good deep sleep? Huh? What? Happens to me sometimes when the kids wake up at night. What? You did, you what? I, get your mom. Well, he didn't have his mommy there with him, so he had to follow the angel. So he had passed through the first and the second guard. They came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. This was when uh, electric doors were first established, right? No, these are miraculous doors. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people, all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So, Peter, sound asleep. Herod's going to destroy the church. He's got Peter ready to be killed the next day. And the church is praying earnestly, and Peter is sound asleep. Notice first the escape. It wasn't, go, 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 quick, 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 run, 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 run. It was get up, get dressed, put on your shoes, get a coat, and let's go. What were the guards up to? They were out cold. What, what, what is going on here? Peter escaped, and he, was, he decided to go to the house of Mary, the mother of Mark, also John, known also as Mark, to deliver a message, you see. And it was a message not just, I don't believe, to deliver to this frightened church that was in hiding, wondering what was going to happen to them and to the church itself. It was a message to us as well. Believer or non-believer? We'll take it for the believer first, and I'll show you how it applies to the non-believer. But there is underlying all of chapter 12 a choice that God puts before us. It's option one and option two. Herod chose option one. Peter chose option two. You see that F with the blank line next to it? Both options start with the letter F. One is to follow. One is to fight. Herod chose to fight God. Lots of people choose to fight God. Lots of powerful people choose to fight God. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But Peter had chosen to follow God. And as a follower of God, he had to remind the believers and us of what it means to be a follower. So let's start with the sleeping thing. Why was Peter so, how was Peter able to sleep so soundly? Anybody think about that this week? I won't deny that, but I'll say that's not really the reason. He knew God was fully in control. I think he knew how much God loved him. He knew God used all things for the good of those who love him. But I don't think that's why he slept so soundly. No. John 21, 18. Check it out. Now, I get to cheat because I prepare these things, but check out what John 21, 18 says. You know what's going on in John? Jesus appears to the disciples. They have breakfast. He goes for a walk with Peter. Anybody remember that? What does he tell Peter in 21, 18? Wait a minute. When you are old, 
another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. It says in verse 19 that he told him, predicting how he would die. Guess what Peter knew? He ain't old yet. Jesus had told him something. When you're old, you're going to die. Peter said, heck, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know I'm not going to die. I might as well go to sleep. Uh, what's there to fear? Herod wants me dead. Jesus said, I'm not going to die. Who do you believe? Do you see that? Has Jesus ever given you a word or a promise like that? Which applies to your situation so clearly it's unbelievable. You guys with me today? Come on. I'm going to move up there with you. Has Jesus ever given you a promise like he gave to Peter? A specific word which you can bank on and have the assurance so that you could sleep soundly like Peter did. How many promises do you think are in the Bible for believers? Probably about 700 plus, if not more. 700 plus, if not more. About 700. Imagine if... It's hot. Imagine if Peter, in John 21, said to Jesus, you know what, I'm sorry, I can't go with you. I'm just busy. I'm tired. Can you tell somebody else and they'll tell me? And he never heard, when you are old, he just didn't know. Or what if he went with him and he did one of these? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm walking with Jesus. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can fish about three. Uh-huh. What, just, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll catch you later there. Okay, bye-bye. Now, what were you saying, Jesus? And Jesus is talking. He's like, oh, I've got to update my, my Facebook page. Just talked on phone, post, you know, whatever you do with that. And he wasn't paying attention. He didn't hear him. He wouldn't have been able to sleep in that cell because he would have known what is going on. Well, I wonder what happens to us. I'm guilty, too, that we don't truly listen to what God has to say, so we miss the promises he gives to us for our joy and comfort and encouragement as we go through this life with, with twists and turns. And we have trouble sleeping, and we have trouble living joyfully, and we have trouble finding the, the peace that God tells us we could have. I wonder, as followers of God, how we fail at times to fully understand the uniqueness of who we have been made, who fights for us, and the promises he makes to us. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. But we forget. Yeah, midweek thought this week. Um, do not be anxious in anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God so that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, right? He's promising you peace. Anybody want it? How do you get it? What, what do we have to be worried about? Nothing. But we need to understand the, the word of God to us, the promises of God to us, understand the nature of the one who makes the promises and then I suspect we might sleep a little better at night because we understand who's guarding. Everybody here has certain stress in their life. I, I know, you know, we're small enough today that I know each and every one of you, and you can trust me too, have various large stressors in our life right now. The stress comes in part from being weak and not fully trusting that God is who he says he is. You see, I'm struggling right now with an issue of forgiveness with a particular person. And as I was reminded of the sovereignty of God and the promise of Romans 8.28, God uses all things for the good of those who love him. It's not so hard to forgive. You know why? Because, sure, someone can screw you over. 
but they can't screw you over outside of the will of God. And God wouldn't let one of his children be screwed over unless it was for his glory and their good. And you know what? I can bank on that promise and I can say, okay, I'm a step towards forgiveness. Anything you fear in life, anything seem out of control in life, as a follower of God, do you understand? The car whips. Relax. You know who the driver is. His plans are to to prosper you and give you a future and a hope, not to freak you out and wreck in a tree. Even though you can't see it, his ways are not your ways. His plans are not your plans. Peter laid chained to two guards on a cell floor out cold because he knew the good shepherd well. He knew he was a follower of God and what it meant to be a follower of God. And he came to tell the church, hey, knock, 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 let me in. I have to tell you something. Herod is a powerful man, but God is a powerful God. Herod wants to destroy the church, but Jesus says this church will never be destroyed no matter what. You see that? Look at at the Bible. At the kings who have fought against God. Let my people go. Pharaoh said, heck no. Who won that battle? The Babylonian kings. Who won that battle with God? The prophets of Baal. Herod. Who wins? Who wins? Every time. Who do you know that's going to beat God? Peter reminded the church, fear not. God is a powerful God. He will not lose. The church will not be destroyed. His people will not be ruined. The gospel will not be quenched. Our God is an awesome God. Peter knew it. Peter slept soundly. So can we as followers of God. Do you understand that? Do you understand the position we're in as followers of God? Peter had to do some learning to get there. But goodness sakes, by now the cat knew. Go to jail. Hey, if I die, I die. But I'm not going to die. I'm not old yet. But one day he got old. And they took him to kill him. And he didn't go, ha! He had matured in his faith. And yes, there was a part of him that was not like, woohoo, make it hurt. But he knew who allowed it to happen. You with me? Because he was a follower of God. Now, I love this. Verse 13, he goes to the house, knock, knock, knock. Rhoda shows up. This is a group of people praying earnestly for Peter. Probably find where I should be in the Bible. It looks better there. She wrote or recognized his voice, and in her joy, what did she do? She did not open the door or the gate, but ran and reported that Peter was at the gate, and they said to her, you're out of your mind. What are they praying? Father God, we pray for your protection upon Peter and that he would be freed from captivity, Lord God. And God says, done. Peter shows up. Who is it? Peter. No, it's not Peter. Peter's going to die. That's called praying with zeal and no faith. I think that's how we pray often, isn't it? Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of many to come to know the truth of who you are and we're saying inside our heads, but we know you're probably not going to, so prepare us for the disappointment so we can just get over it. Right? God, I pray that you might heal so-and-so from this this sickness they're going through. I I pray that you might comfort so-and-so. I pray you might help so-and-so in a way that reveals yourself. But we know it's probably not going to happen because we assume prayer doesn't really work very well, but we'll go through the motions. Amen. You see, God knows what's behind the words. This church prayed with fervor and zeal, not a lot of faith, and I'm sure glad that God honors the prayers of zeal that are not as powerful in faith because God knows us and we are weak. But isn't that interesting? How often are we surprised that God, wow, God actually answered a prayer. Uh, This group was surprised. 
So finally they came and let him in because Peter wouldn't stop knocking. Like, goodness gracious, I could get out of the jail and I can't get into the house with the church inside. So he keeps knocking. And they were amazed. They let him in. He said, hush, and described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And he departed and went to another place. Now, if you'll notice, James was killed in verse uh, 2. He apparently came back to life here. And that's another miracle often missed in the Bible. Isn't that pretty cool? No, there were two James. Don't let that trick you. So he came to tell them, God is in control. Don't be so afraid. Let me show you by word and, and living example that Herod is not more powerful than God. God is in control. Jesus told me I wouldn't die till I'm old, and he didn't lie to me. God never lies. God never changes. But here's a little problem. Do most people follow God? No. Jesus says there's no middle ground. You're either with me or against me. So if you're not following him, what are you doing? You're fighting him. How well does that go? There's no, now, let's make sure we understand that. There's no indifference. You, you, you're not like, oh, I'm not going to fight him. I'm just going to kind of not follow him. There, Jesus says, no, there's no indifference. You're either working against him in rebellion to him, or you're following him, submitted to him. Do you guys understand that? There's no, you know, I just don't think about God that much, and I, I'm not opposed to him. I just don't believe in him. No, there, there's open rebellion, or there's following so Herod uh, found out what happened, and he searched for, for Peter, didn't find him, examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death, and he went off to Caesarea in a pout. Actually, it says here he went down from Judea to Caesarea to spend time there, but he went in a pout. And he went in a pout because I'm going to kill this church, and I want to fight God, and I can't win. So off huffing, this, this powerful man goes, and he was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and Having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his robes and took a seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. We would say he got all gussied up, and he gave him a fancy talk. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not a man! Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. It's actually probably an intestinal ailment. You can read about it in uh, his hist extra biblical, biblical history. But Herod decided to fight God. He decided to try to claim for himself the glory that was God's. And you know what happened there? He died. Biggest problem with fighting God is, quite simply, God fights back. You know? You, 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 you poke the lion, the lion might bite you. You fight with God, ducking doesn't do any good. And God fights back because the glory is for him alone. God's power cannot be contested. God's punishment cannot be avoided, apart from Christ. And God's purposes cannot be frustrated. Those are truths that, that we need to be reminded of often. His power cannot be contested. If I make a promise to you, I, let's say that I promise next, next week, this music is going to work perfectly. There's going to be no hiccup. The computer's going to work. Everything's going to be fine. And I can, I can do everything in my power to make that happen. Can you guarantee that's going to happen? Now, if God made that same promise, you can take it to the bank. You see, I'm not all powerful, as much as sometimes I, I think I am. 
I, I can't control everything, so my promises are, are just best guesses. God's can't be contested, and they always come true. God's punishment can't be avoided. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have started out against God. No one follows God of their own accord, and God's purposes cannot be frustrated. Herod learned this truth the hard way. You know what he learned? how he learned it? He died. He spent his entire life suppressing the truth, denying the God who was, fighting against God, and after a period of time that God had pre preordained of, of grace so that Herod might have a chance to turn to him, God finally said enough, and Herod died. And he's spending an eternity in hell. Peter learned the same truth that Herod learned. You know what Peter did? He didn't die, he slept. And he lived eternally. Same truth. Two different options to it. Check out verse 24. Herod tried to kill the church, destroy the church, knock off the apostles, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. You'll see in chapter 13, which I have to do next week because we got all the way through 12, that whenever the church is at work, the devil wakes up and fights back. And he often uses people to do it. And whenever the church is attacked, the church grows. Whenever the church is living apathetically and not walking in the will of God, the devil doesn't take much notice. There's not much persecution. There's a whole lot of indifference. And very little happens. You see, Herod, probably the most powerful man in the area at the time, tried to destroy the church. Had it work out. Herod got dead, and the church got going. Got growing, I should say. It was already going. It got growing. As we go through our lives, <clears throat> we need to understand, as a follower of God, who it is that fights for us. Who he is. How much he loves us. What he has done for us. How he will care for us. A sparrow doesn't fall to the ground apart from the sovereignty of God. How much more will he care for you? Think about that. As life twists and turns and it's scary and we want to yell, help! Our daddy in the front, the good shepherd who we follow, turns around and just smiles. Oh, relax. It's okay. I have it fully in control. But, 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 shh, enjoy the ride. But it's not fun. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't say it would all be fun, but I did say it would all be for your good. Enjoy the ride. Where are we going? Oh, I'll tell you where we're going. How do we get there? Oh, I'm not going to tell you how we get there. That's part of the ride, and you'll grow in the ride. Sit back and relax. I can drive. And little by little, we turn into kids. We have a faith like a child, like a, a three-year-old and a five-year-old in the back of a car. We're not, we're not going to die. If we do, I don't know. We didn't think about that. Dad knows what he's doing because from a kid's perspective, Daddy's perfect. And he would have fun with us sometimes and swerve the car a little bit to, you know, knock us around. And, and we assume he did that knowing what he was doing and caring for us properly. But we had fun with it. Well, life isn't about fun, but there's a peace and a joy and a security. It comes from knowing who it is that's driving the car and how much they love you and that your job is to follow, not lead. How often do we say, God, you don't know what you're doing. 
let me help you help yourself. Let me help you receive the glory. See, here's how it should go. You want to fix this, do that, stop that, smack this person in the face, make this person apologize to me, do this, let me have this, put me here, and make all this happen, and you will be glorified, and it will be for my good. And God's like, oh my gosh, thank you so much, John. I didn't know that. I got everything created, and I keep it going, but, but I was, you know, wow, you're right. Let me fix that for you. Who has a better track record? Well, little by little, we realize, oh, God, you are gracious because you haven't punched me in the face as a follower, despite my, my idiocy. And we look back over the track record of, of God, and we realize, you know what? Every word, he should put this in the Bible. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Yeah, I think he did put that in the Bible. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield for those who take refuge in him. Peter slept. Herod died. One chose option one. A follower of God. The other chose option two. A fighter of God. Remember these things, guys. As followers of God, who fights for us? Who fights for us? God. So think about in your life all those people that have really just uh, stuck it to you. Do you think they overpowered God and thwarted his plans? No. Do you want to know why God allowed it? I can't tell you that. But I know he did. Who controls the events that go on in our lives? Yes, we have human responsibility. We do all that we're able to do, but we do it under the understanding of the truth and the reality that God is in control of all things and as followers of him, he fights for us. And what did he do so that he might fight for us? He sent his only son to die on the cross in our place to take his righteousness and put it on us so that he could take our sin upon himself. Do you see that? God said, I love you so much, I want to fight for you. I want to glory, I want to do everything for your good and my glory and I'll make a way for that to happen. So what do you really have to be afraid of when you under, actually understand the reality of the nature and attributes of God. If God is truly as powerful as he says he is and has done what he said he has done and will do what he says he will do, well, what do we have to fear? Now, I understand sometimes we don't sleep for a variety of reasons that are beyond just stress with God. You know, sometimes you forget to shave and your face just doesn't feel right on the pillow. Some people ha have issues, physical issues with, with sleep. But I wonder how much of it is the cumulative effect of the inputs of life upon us that all shout at us, you can't trust God, it's going to go bad, take care of yourself, it's not going to work, yeah, we watch everybody else freaking out, you know, with a smile on your face, I love, I love how people can do that, how, how are you doing, I'm great, I would like to, you know, I'd like to be great like everybody else, I understand there's degrees of depth of relationship, but, but even people you have a little more depth with, I was talking to a neighbor I know fairly well yesterday. They're, they're moving. I said, how's everything going? Oh, great. Give me a stinking break. Come on. Come on. Just be honest a little bit. Everything's just great. Uh, but we learn to put a smile on, and then at home and alone we freak out. I wonder how much of the input of the world and, and the effect of sin in us causes us to freak out, to, to not sleep well and have the joy and the peace that God intends for us. Rejoice always. I will say it again, rejoice. I'm quoting Paul there. How? Because you are a follower of a God who died for you so that you might live eternally with him. There's nothing to fear. Remember who's driving. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
I'd like my sheep to lead me. Now, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Remember, we have to hear God's words to live well. Peter heard a promise in John 21, 18. God has given us hundreds and hundreds of promises. I'm going through a study with my kids, a devotional study, the promises of God. Wow, they're pretty amazing. The, not just the number, but the specificity of what they are and how they apply. Sit and chew on those for a little bit. You take one a day. Just chew on it. It'll blow your mind. And remember, there is a promise to unbelievers. You know what the promise to the unbeliever, the one who fights God is? God makes them one promise. If you will turn to me, you'll be saved. See, we live in a world at war with God. And our powerful king desires that none should be lost, but all should be saved. That's not what's going to happen. That's not his, his perfect will that he's going to execute, because certainly some will not be saved. But he's created a way and a time, by grace, through faith, for anyone to turn to him and be saved. And you know why we're here, in large part? To go out into a world that's fighting with God and tell them, one day he's going to swing back. And when he swings back, you're going to die. I might not phrase it that way. Do you know Jesus? Because one day he's going to smack you in the head and you're going to die. That is, that is half the gospel. The other half is, but you don't have to die because... He died in your place. But the reality is, you know, oh, you know, my God, you don't have, you do have a God. He doesn't fight for you. He has no power. My God is the one true God. And he sent me to tell you something, that one day he's going to swing back. And it's going to really, really hurt. But God has made a promise to the unbeliever. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. That's what we communicate. We communicate it well when we communicate it with integrity and honesty, walking in obedience. It's hard to tell someone about a sovereign God when you don't walk like you know the sovereign God, isn't it? You know, you go to the bars half drunk. I'll tell you about Jesus Christ. He'll tell you very, very much. And he says, you shouldn't drink it to joy that I forgive me, but you should tell the You know, people are like, okay, yeah, that sounds great. Or you do the hateful speech. Turn and burn, you're going to hell, you dirty, rotten sinner. I hate you, and God hates you, and you better turn before you die. Well, who, are the, who wants a piece of that? But what about when you're walking in greater and greater obedience, being honest with people, when they say to you, how are you doing? Don't say great. Be honest with people. Now, don't go be one of those people that unpacks everything. I said, how are you? Oh, I had a lady on the phone this week. Well, I was talking to, well, whew, move on. Anyway, don't be one of those people that just unpacks all your baggage for people. How are you doing? Oh, my gosh, my mom is so upset me and my kids hate me and I can't stand my spouse. Stop. But be honest, I'm, I'm doing all right. You know, I don't understand all, all that's going on in my life and some things cause me a little angst, but, but darn, I'm thankful that, that I know God and God's in control of everything. You see, that's, that's honest. What might they say to you? Understand those. Who fights for us? How he's gotten us into a position that he fights for us. Who's driving? Hear the words of God so that we might live the way he intends us to. And understand we're here to proclaim peace to a world at war with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's just incredibly cool that, that this guy, Peter, 
who was a hothead that denied Christ, matured in his faith to the point that he was able to sleep soundly on the night before the most powerful man in the area intended to kill him shortly after he killed another apostle. What happened? Peter matured in his faith. Peter was no different than any one of us. He just came to know God a whole lot more better. Peter came to, to deliver a message to the church of the time and to the church forevermore. And his message is this. He came to show by a living example that even though the road of life seems to twist and turn precariously, God is fully in control, bringing glory to himself and good to those who love and follow him. If you don't know God, you might want to come to know him before he's too late. Too late. We meet him through the, through the scriptures. We, we know a God exists through his general revelation of creation. That's what Romans tells us in the beginning. The specificity of who that God is, you come to meet through a specific revelation in scripture. You come to see that Jesus Christ is his only son, sent to die on the cross for those who believe in him, but for those of us who follow. Sit back. Life's not crazy. Life's not out of control. Life is very much like two kids sitting in the back seat of their daddy's car on the floorboard, laughing, one of whom occasionally throwed up in her well, not always feeling great. It wasn't always great fun, but we knew we were safe because we knew who our daddy was. The reality is we grew up and we found out we weren't all that safe, and now you've got to buckle up. But as an adult, I've come to know who my perfect heavenly father is who never crashes, never wrecks, never makes a mistake, knows everything, loves me beyond my wildest dreams, and will use all things for my good and his glory and yours too as followers. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the, the example of Peter and even the example of Herod. What a, what a shame that, that any human being created in your likeness and your image spends an eternity in hell. What a greater shame if we never tell them they don't have to. I pray, Father, we might more fully understand who we are in Christ and why we are in Christ. I pray we might glorify you in all we do, that we might have that peace that transcends all understanding, that we might at all times live for your glory, that we might hear you speak to us through your word, that we would fear not, that we would be not dismayed, that we would not grow discouraged, that we would not see you through the circumstances, but see the circumstances through your eyes, that we would not try to conform to, to the ways of this world, not, not just the ways that we know are obviously wrong, but the ways that are hard for us to tell, that we might follow you, that we might persevere, that we might not give up doing good and in due season reap. Father, thank you for choosing us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.